Tim O'Reilly says your J-curve is actually an S-curve. And I say TAM's a meaningless metric. Welcome to The Syndicate, the blogcast series, where we talk about tech themes, investing, startups, cryptocurrencies, blockchain, AI, and everything in between. I'm your host, Matt Ward. I'm an angel investor, startup advisor, and all-around tech-focused nerd, I guess you could say. So let's get into it. Why your J-curve's actually an S-curve, and TAM's a meaningless metric. Two days ago, I had the privilege of moderating an awesome roundtable with some of the smartest futurists and forward thinkers in the industry. Our panelists included the one and only Tim O'Reilly, James Elworth of the Exponent Podcast. I know a lot of you know Ben Thompson as well. Ben Gilbert of Acquired, another smart guy, and Jeff Morris Jr., a very successful and accomplished angel investor and the head of revenue at Tinder. And it was a very interesting experience. They say you're the average of the five people in your life, and these four certainly padded my total and informed me a ton on the perspective for the future. There was one point in particular that Tim had on the nature of disruption and innovation that I didn't quite agree with. During the panel, I pushed back a bit, but with time, the truth became more and more apparent. Tim rightly pointed out there's no such thing as a J-curve. Sure, short-term graphs show up and to the right, but eventually everything levels out. There are only so many billions of potential consumers. Pushing beyond that's impossible. And technology naturally plateaus. Moore's Law is pushing its physical limitations already, at least in terms of economic feasibility. And many other technologies have displayed similar trends. But with every new plateau, the new normal shifts further and further. Isaac Newton said, if I've seen far, it's because I've stood on the shoulder of giants. Interesting intersections. Technological innovation is interesting. Ultimately, however, each innovation can only go so far. The most intriguing areas are actually found on the fringes, where multiple innovations meet. Today, genetic sequencing is hot, but scientists have been studying the human genome for years. The intersection with AI and machine learning, that's particularly interesting, because DNA is so vast. No human could ever understand or analyze DNA. Instead, geneticists employ basic ML, machine learning, to find and analyze relevant genome sequences. Using data, companies like 23andMe can then accurately pattern match to known research and provide personalized conclusions. You may have a 15% higher risk of heart disease. By the way, the FDA does not like it when 23andMe does that. Apparently only doctors can tell you things that science says. Anyways, in genetics, we're still in the early innings. But with advances in gene therapies, medicine delivery, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, robotics... Think about it. Is the future of cyborgs really so far off? I'd argue no. And as innovation is generally additive and transformational, this implies our S-curve is actually a bit upward and lumpy, stepwise. Imagine, uh, imagine a set of steps. We're going, we're pedaling and flattening out, jumping up again, flattening out, jumping up, flattening out. That is progress. That's innovation, but in a bit of a, a windy method. Hockey sticks can hurt, though. It's a potential problem with a conventional venture analysis. As a, any rule, a graph with up and to the right growth gets investors excited. But this only paints a small portion of the picture. Yes, founders may have found product market fit. But that isn't always enough. What about the market? Let's talk actual total addressable market. ATAM, as I like to call this. Investors always ask about TAM, the total addressable market. In general, this is helpful, but not as much as you'd think. The best startups are reinventing the world and creating new markets. If Uber's addressable market was just the market for taxis and black cars, Benchmark wouldn't be suing them right now. 
for a little more insight on this issue, Uber's problems, and the problems with their business model, the syndicate.vc, just search for Uber, and you'll see why Uber's going to zero, and Airbnb's 100x better business. But instead, uh, Uber, this innovative taxi company, redefines transportation. They're destroying car ownership globally. They massively exceeded original expectations. But this is generally not the case. In businesses where startups look to take on incumbents, it's often about stealing market share, not creating new markets. In these scenarios, TAM is oddly unchanged. Great businesses can still be built, but the upside's capped, as opposed to the almost unlimited upside of a company like Uber. So the question VCs need to ask is, is the ATAM, actual total addressable market, greater than or less than the TAM? This comes down to foreseeing market creation, which most individuals can't do. A better question may be, is the TAM realistic? And how large can it be? What happens if everything goes right? The problem with J-curves is you never really know when they're going to slow down and become an S-curve. Having an understanding of the ceiling and time horizon is key to creating outsized returns, both for investors and entrepreneurs. And this comes down to understanding the market, your place in it, and the founder's vision of the future. Founders that don't shoot for the moon rarely reach the stars. Travis being an exception, he was just trying to replace taxis, which is big, but not quite as big as Uber got. Understanding time horizons. Technologists are inherently optimistic, at least on time horizons, and especially when it comes to their own fields. Few dedicate their lives to something they don't believe they'll live to see. Hope powers our ability to work. We need a driving force, and we merge that with our views of reality. Of course, artificial general intelligence is right around the corner. Driverless cars will be everywhere in 2020, and Elon will put a colony on Mars by 2031. Optimists are, understandably, optimistic. Unfortunately, with tech and with humanity, things take longer. People don't change quickly. And more importantly, tech always takes twice as long and costs twice as much. We tend to overestimate the effect of a technology in the short run and underestimate the effect in the long run. Roy Amera, Amera's Law. And using a database of 95 AI timeline predictions show expert predictions contradict each other considerably and are indistinguishable from non-expert predictions and past failed predictions. Predictions that AI lies 15 to 25 years in the future are the most common, from experts and non-experts alike. A study by the Semantic Scholar on how we're predicting AI or failing to. Let's talk venture timelines. Venture capital funds typically run 10 years, with an option for an additional two if necessary. Because VCs raise money from LPs, limited partners, LPs hold VCs accountable to drive returns. And that means exits and liquidity to pay back the LPs. This means VCs can't really invest in startups with longer time horizons. So truly futurist tech and research is rarely funded. This creates situations where startups are incentivized to overpromise on speed to market. If you're building the future and an investor says that's too slow, you say, we can do it faster. Whether or not that's true, most fanatical founders say whatever's necessary to get funding and make their mission a reality. This creates challenges between investors and operators on the vision of the future. The founder wants to change the world, but investors prefer exits with big returns. Exiting a company. It's better to go on a high note. Companies in the exponential growth phase of the S-curve are much more highly valued. Investors and markets can't cap them because the growth is taking off. This could literally go on forever, right? Or at least that's the subconscious thought. Whether it's an acquisition or an IPO, people respond best to a rocket ship, and they'll overpay to be part of the upside. The same isn't true in a plateau. Instead, that means the company may have peaked, and the multiples are much, much lower. Understandably, this creates an interesting dilemma for founders and investors. To get the best offer or valuation in the public markets, you want to be as close to flattening as the S-curve as possible without slowing growth. 
Sell too early and you leave money on the table. Sell too late and your valuation drops. It's always better to sell a vision of the future. Look at Bezos, look at Amazon. Amazon makes no money, but the stock is constantly on a climb. Investors realize Amazon's future potential and are betting big on that. For more on how Amazon's killing e-commerce, the syndicate.vc, search for Amazon killing e-commerce, and you will find about Bezos being the terminator of everything retail. But if Amazon's growth sputtered, it might be a different story. Look at Rome. Rome's economy was built on unsustainable wars. Roman armies looted cities and built massive wealth to cover their massive debts. Eventually, the debts outpaced the treasure and the empire weakened and corrupted, and finally fell. Sound a bit like the US, right? Anyways, timing's everything. Facebook wasn't the first social network. Google wasn't the first search engine. The iPod wasn't the first MP3 player. More important even than the founding team is the timing. Try selling to a market before it's ready and the results are dismal. Do you remember web TV? Probably not. They were Netflix or Roku in the 1990s, bringing internet right to your television. It turns out the world wasn't ready for cable cutting. It hurts, but it happens. Much more frequently than you'd expect. Ideas are worthless. Timing and execution is everything. Startups can do everything right, but being too early or too late often equates to failure. And for disruptive technologies at the intersection of innovation, this becomes even more important. The robotics to build an iRobot-esque Will Smith bionic arm are nearly ready. The brain-body interface is another story. Babies are a great metaphor here. Some are active and engaged early, but their bodies don't quite do what their brains want. They try and they try and they try until they give up, screaming and crying because the toy's just out of reach. And as parents, we think we can predict the first steps, the first smiles, the first words, the first anything, but it's entirely variable. Despite seeing progress day in and day out, one jump, one day, it just happens. A breakthrough. Technology's a lot like that. Big jumps make big differences. And predicting these breakthroughs is impossible. Playing in the right areas isn't, though. Remember nanotechnology? As a graduate of Georgia Tech, I heard the hype. Nano was going to transform the world, revolutionize manufacturing, and put Atlanta on the map. That was almost nine years ago. Not much has changed. The hype has not lived up to expectations, at least to date. Understanding true trends. As technologists, we consider ourselves educated and less likely to fall victim to hype cycles and fads. The truth is anything but true. Party rounds and buzzwords are as prevalent in venture as any other industry, if not more so. Investors suffer FOMO, fear of missing out, and need to be in on each of the big trends, leading to inflated valuations. For an industry focused on ROI and earned carry, this seems odd. Double the valuation and effectively double your dilution. Or double your investment and have 50% fewer portfolio companies. And while startup investing is all about outsized returns, and one or two typically return the fund, continuously overstretching has consequences. Doing so from FOMO just amplifies this. Great investors and great founders. I wanted to outline the attributes of great investors here. Unfortunately, it isn't easy. Most great investors are constantly learning and listening to those around them. They have views on the world and where it's going, but with sufficient foresight to understand they can't see it all. They take and even embrace risk, all while carefully weighing costs against upside rewards. And perhaps most importantly, they know when to say no. Better yet, they know when to break the rules and invest anyways. That's what makes a great investor. Given sufficient time and money, these investor scorecards almost always come out on top. But fear of missing out is a real thing. Great entrepreneurs and salesmen can engineer it. The founder distortion field is powerful. They pull you into their vision of the future. Founders with this skill set are often successful. Entrepreneurship is almost all about taking risks and uniting a team around your shared mission. Founders that can easily do this raise money easily and recruit the top talent. 
The more dangerous reality distortions are that of your mind, however. We think we control our brains, but it couldn't be further from the truth. We feel hungry after sniffing something tasty, wired after a few cups of coffee, tired when someone else yawns. The truth is there are many biological triggers that control our inner emotions and thoughts. Understanding these impulses leads to better investments. Loss aversion and FOMO. In economics and decision theory, loss aversion refers to people's tendency to prefer prefer avoiding losses to acquiring equivalent gains. It's better not to lose $5 than to find $5. That's the implication of loss aversion. What distinguishes loss aversion from the utility of monetary payoff depends on what we've previously experienced or what was expected to happen. Studies suggest that losses are twice as powerful psychologically as gains. Wikipedia. On the surface, this appears to contradict investor FOMO. Unpacking it, however, unveils something else entirely. VCs have nothing to lose and everything to gain. VCs invest almost solely other people's money on a 2 and 20 system. 2% management fees per year plus 20% of carry. They get 2% per year regardless of results. They cannot lose. But rather than loss aversion with respect to investment, the money isn't theirs, right? The only loss is the potential upside. Inverting loss aversion theory leads to VC FOMO. The only loss venture capitalists can suffer is missing out on carry, 20% of the net difference in the fund. So if a VC plays things safe, invests a $100 million fund, and returns $120 million, A, they're probably not going to get many LPs for the next fund, and the VCs are going to split 2% of the 20% of the $20 million difference. My math may be off there. 20% of the $20 million difference, or $4 million. If, however, they'd invested in riskier startups with greater upside and returned $500 million, that would mean $400 million was the difference, and 20% of $400 million is $40 million. 10x as much. It's easy to see how investment structures favor go big or go home. And as such, every investor subconsciously suffers from fear of missing the next Uber, Google, or Facebook. Don't believe me? Look at Benchmark. They're suing Uber. Again, the syndicate.vc. Search for Uber's going to zero. Or just Google it. You'll find the article. Bigger than money. Here's where we need a with great power comes great responsibility cliche quote. In all seriousness, however, longer term thinking generally comes after success, if at all. Once initial missions are complete and sufficient personal wealth created, the best among us look to more forward thinking philanthropic ventures. Bill Gates fighting malaria and HIV, Peter Diamantis's X-Prize, Elon focused on, well, being Elon. Money allows individuals to dream bigger beyond the 10-year life fund cycle. As we said previously, the most promising and impactful technology is often at the fringes, taking time to mature. And big problems require ambitious solutions that merge tech and expertise from a variety of industries. The question is, can only the ultra-wealthy afford to change the world? In America, the government surely failed, and many around the world are similarly inept. Private enterprises have long pushed the envelope on technology, innovation, and civilization. But thanks to capital markets of today, and a much greater focus being placed on short-term returns over long-term impact and profit, that's created problems and a conundrum for startup founders. Take my company public and deal with the expectations and deadlines of the crowd, or stay private longer and build a mega business. Recently going public has been the path less traveled. Between reporting requirements, smaller visions, and the economic and time costs associated with companies like Uber, Airbnb, Slack, and dozens of others, they've been putting off going public. This creates additional pressure on LPs. On VCs, LPs want liquidity. 
and founders are fighting off exits, preferring to build lasting, meaningful companies. First principle thinking. Skate to where the puck is going, not where it's been. Wayne Gretzky. Elon and Peter Thiel are famous for their love of first principle thinking, which basically involves actively questioning any assumption you think you know about a problem or scenario, and then creating new knowledge and solutions from scratch. A great example of this would be Tesla or SpaceX. In both, Elon's stated goals were impossibly ambitious. With SpaceX, he wanted to save humanity. He saw a single home planet as a choke point for our species, arguing rightly that a single disaster could wipe out the entire human race. He wanted a backup plan. A million people on Mars. A million is just enough to create a self-sustaining population. But space travel is prohibitively expensive. $1.5 billion per seat. Never affordable, and definitely not for a large enough portion of the population. Elon realized a rocket fuselage was the biggest driving cost, accounting for 99% of the launch costs. Hmm, what if I could build a reusable rocket? So SpaceX did that. They developed vertical landing technology, an unthinkable technological feat prior to 2017 when they did it three times, and the list of innovations goes on and on. See the future, see where it's headed, break the rules and beliefs, and skate like hell to see it through. That's first principle thinking. That's how innovation overcomes the S-curve, to continuously keep innovating. But we can't all be Elon. Closing thoughts. I have no idea how to end this article. What started with innovation and expectations of growth morphed into an analysis of the expectations and incentives, exploring the issues around the venture industry and creating disruptive, truly futurist change. I hope this has been an interesting article blogcast for you. If it has, the syndicate.vc, be sure to subscribe. If you add a dash subscribe in there, you can hop on our newsletter, get access to our incredible roundtables. We've had some great ones on cryptocurrency. We just did one with Tim O'Reilly and James Alworth, as we were talking about. We've done another on AI and autonomous driving. And of course, you can get access to all of our investor resources. We've had some of the top angels and VCs on the program. The syndicate.vc slash subscribe. And if you like this, search for us in iTunes. Just search The Syndicate VC, and you should be able to find both our original interview series, where we have some of the smartest people on, and then the podcast series, where I try to talk tech and get into a really interesting topic. If it's been interesting for you, be sure to subscribe. If not, that's totally cool. And we'd love if you'd leave a review, comments, etc. in the show notes. Until next time, this has been an awesome day. Happy holidays, depending on when you're listening to this, and go make it happen.